0: Open your Bibles up to Ephesians chapter 4, Ephesians chapter 4, and our text this morning is verse 28. The title of the sermon is Labor to Give Like Christ, and today the scripture will give us a theology of work, one of the primary attributes of God is that he is a giving God. If you were to read from Ephesians chapter 1 through chapter 4, verse 24, those 90 verses, you would only find one command. And that's because those 90 verses are packed full of the blessings God has given to you in christ ephesians chapter 1 2 3 and 4 through verse 24 is like god's great stack of christmas gifts that are piled up to eternity for you and as you read through ephesians there can only be one conclusion and that is god is the great giver And in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 20 through 24, we read about his gift of regeneration. When we believe the gospel and the gospel is applied to our life, we are united with Christ and we are given a new nature. And you can see that in verse 24. Notice verse 24. We have... Put on the new self, created, and that's created by God, created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Verse 24 is saying that God has loved you so much that he transformed your nature to be like his. So now you have the capacity by the power of the Holy Spirit to love And to give like God does. Our text is Ephesians 4.28. And in this text you learn to live like Christ. By diligently working like Christ. So you can generously give like Christ. Notice verse 28. Ephesians 4.28. Let the thief... No longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone in need. Verse 28 follows the pattern of Christ's likeness that we found in verse 22, 23, and 24. That is, we put off the old ways, we put on Christ's likeness, And we are being daily, continually renewed by the Holy Spirit as we meditate on his word. So notice verse 28, the put off. Let the thief no longer steal. And and then what's the put on of verse 28? Rather, let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands. And, And then what is the renewed mind in verse 28. What's the truth that renews our thinking so that he may have something to share with anyone in need? So verse 28 gives us a theology of labor. And it's a theology that has Christ at the center of your labor, of your job. And verse 28 is what Christ-like labor is to look like. But remember, as we have been talking about the past number of weeks, this is not just stop doing this, start doing this, put off this, put on this. This must be lived with the power of the Holy Spirit within us as he daily controls our thoughts and daily changes our mind through the meditation on God's word. I mean, this is Chapter 4, verse 23, becoming a reality in our life as he changes how we think about our work. And what is he changing in our mind, in our thoughts? What is the renewed truth? It's that you work to give. You labor so you can share with those in need. That is the truth that the Holy Spirit wants to change your thinking with. That is, I work so that I may have something to share with anyone in need. My life is about giving. Christ's likeness is a giving life. It reflects the nature of God. God loves, so God gives. From the nature of God, the love of God, comes the giving of God. And therefore, we have the nature of Christ. And therefore, we should give like Christ. And so it's a change of how we think of our values. It's that God has given me everything I have. So now what I do is I give back to him in worship, and I give to others in love. So Christ-like labor is diligently working so you can generously give. And this whole sermon does not matter at all unless you get this part. And that is that the Holy Spirit must daily change how you think about your labor. You must change from being a person who is selfish to being a person who is sacrificial. The Holy Spirit must change you from being one who takes for yourself to being one who gives for others. And you can't be the laborer. God wants you to be, unless you labor for the right reason. That you don't labor to consume, you don't take to have, we labor to give. And so Christ like labor is diligently working so you can generously give. And what does verse 28 teach Christ like labor is like? Well, first, We are to put off stealing. We're not to take that which is not ours. One day, there was a man who called a company to ask for a job. And he talked on the phone with the potential employer and had a little interview. And the potential employer asked, why did you leave your last job? And the man replied, well, they let me go because I took my work home with me. And the potential employer replied, "Well, that's odd. Who was your employer?" And the man answered back, "Oh, it was uh, First National Bank." And if you don't get the joke, the man was fired for stealing from the bank. He took his work home with him. And so, verse twenty-eight says that we must not steal. Notice verse twenty-eight. Let. The thief no longer steal. Stealing is taking or keeping that which is not yours. The sin of theft is rooted really in the truth that God gives people stewardship over possessions. God owns everything. And anything you have has been given to you by God. You are a steward of those possessions and those resources under the authority of God to be used to love God and to love others. Think about Joseph in Genesis. He was a steward of Potiphar's house. Joseph didn't own anything, yet he was able to do whatever he wanted with Potiphar's possessions as long as it further Benefited Potiphar's house. And in the same way, God has made us stewards and has given to you what you have, so you will use it for his glory. So you will use it to steward, you will steward it to love other people. Therefore, when you take that which is not yours, you are robbing God. And you might ask, well, how is that? Well, God has given that thing, that possession to that person. They have stewardship over it. And when you take that possession from that person, you take what God has given to him. You're robbing that person and you are robbing God. Theft is wrong because you are stealing from a steward, but also theft is wrong because you are seeking to find joy and contentment in things in material possessions instead of god you see the heart of theft is covetousness covetousness is a sin of longing for that which god has not given to you when i was in elementary i can remember sitting in one of my elementary classes and looking at my teacher's desk and there was a jar of candy. And I longed, I coveted that candy. I would think about taking a piece and being able to uh, maybe even win a piece and I was not able to do that very often. So I had this thought that if I was by myself in this room, I could have an opportunity to take one for myself. And so one time I had an opportunity I uh, was able to walk around the, the school, which was also a part of the church, when all the students and teachers were gone. And one day I went into that classroom, saw that jar of candy, and I took a piece of candy for myself. You see, my covetous heart wanted something that God had not given to me. And theft is then taking the next step, and it's taking that which God has not given to me. So how might theft be manifest in our life? Well, number one, you take that which is not yours. So here's a couple of ways that we might see theft in our life. And you take that which is not yours. So you're in a hotel and you have a really nice hotel that you're in. You know, hotels these days are getting more And more expensive and so you see a nice plush towel and you think oh you know I would I don't have a towel like this I would love to have a towel like that so you stuff that in your suitcase and and, and you think well it's not that big of a deal they have a lot of money but consider the sin of stealing that you took from that hotel that which God has not given you the hotel is a steward of those towels. You have robbed them, and therefore you have robbed God. And ultimately, you chose to love that towel, that thing, instead of loving God. Or, or kids, think about one of your siblings. Maybe they have $5, and they had it in their pocket, and they were you know, carrying it around with them, and they dropped it. And they don't know where they dropped it at. And so everyone searches the house. Nobody can find it. A couple weeks go by. And then you look at some point behind the dresser and you see the $5. And you think, hey, finders what? Finders keepers, right? And you keep it for yourself. No, that's called theft. God gave you that brother. God gave that brother, I should say, that $5. And for you to take it from him is not loving your brother. And so you're stealing, you're taking something that is not yours. And so theft is taking that which is not yours. Theft also can be keeping that which is not yours. So you're at the store and you're at the checkout and all your items are going through and you go home and you open up your bags and you realize there's an item in there that you weren't charged for and you think well they should have seen that right it's not my fault I'm I'm just gonna keep it no that's theft you must not keep that which is not yours at my grandpa's funeral the pastor who officiated told how he borrowed uh, one day he borrowed my grandpa's tools and he forgot to give them back then this pastor moved from Indiana to Wisconsin, and when he he unpacked, he saw some of those tools with my grandpa's name on it. So he called my grandpa up and he he told him that he was gonna drive down there in a few months and give those tools back. He asked my grandpa to forgive him for keeping that which was not his. That pastor realized to keep those would be stealing. And so theft can be keeping that which is not yours, but also you can steal time. You can steal time from your employer or from other people, and you can do that with laziness. Laziness at work is theft. Not doing your best is stealing. When you try to slide by or you do the minimal work, you're robbing that employer of what you owe him and we need to calibrate our conscience to see laziness as theft and when we are lazy we are not fulfilling our responsibilities whether that be at at work or at home or in some type of ministry I mean think about it this way you leave a room and there's trash in there you leave a mess and and maybe in your mind you think ah maybe I should clean this up but Maybe someone else will do it, or you just don't even care to think about it. But see, someone else will have to go in that room, in that place, and they will have to clean up. And ultimately, you're robbing that person of their time. Your laziness is stealing from that person. And then fourth, you can steal by withholding giving to God. See, God has given you everything you have. And the principle of Scripture is that you are to generously give to the Lord from the first fruits of your labor. Proverbs 3, 9, honor the Lord with the wealth and with the first fruits of all your produce. In other words, the very first thing you should do with your check or with that cash you get from your job is give the first fruits of that to the Lord. We have those boxes in the back, and we have online giving, so you can obey the Lord in this, so you can worship the Lord in this, and this is an obedience issue. This is an uh, an issue of uh, of worship. This is what we are doing when we give to the Lord. We obey him. We worship him. Now, you might think, well, Pastor Ben, that's the Old Testament, right? Giving the first fruits or or tithing or offerings. Isn't that Old Testament? They were to give a certain percentage of their income. and well, Absolutely, that was in the Old Testament. You might say, well, that was the law, right? The law said they had to do that. We're not under the law anymore. But actually, tithing, giving of the first fruits, it transcends the Old Testament law. It was before the Old Testament law. Abraham gave of his first fruits he tithe it's after the law and of course, there is not a a certain percentage God demands of you. some people think you know maybe ten percent is is a good number and I think it is a good number to start with the 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 heart of scripture in giving is that we give out of a willing, generous heart. the question of giving is not. How much do i have to give the question is how much do i get to give and to withhold giving to the lord of your income is to rob god that's why in malachi 3 8 god says will man rob god yet you have robbed me but you say how have we robbed you i mean you might ask that how have i robbed god By not giving or not giving generously. Well, he says, in your tithes and contributions. The Old Testament and New Testament pattern for giving was to generously give out of a willing heart. Some people think of the Old Testament giving as as just, you know, God hard-handed, demanding, you have to give this. But actually, when you study the Old Testament and the the giving of God's people God called them to do it from the from the uh, from a heart of generosity in fact what you see with God's people when they are redeemed what naturally comes out is this desire to give think about Israel when they came out of Egypt do you realize that God made them rich The Egyptians gave away their gold and their silver and their jewels and their clothes. I mean, they were like, take this Israel, take our, take our riches, because they're just like, get rid, we want to get rid of you guys. And so God made them like kings and queens, God made them rich. Well, why did God give all that to them? Well, when they were out there in that wilderness, they took it. And in selfishness, they took that gold and they made a golden calf and they, Worshipped that idol, so selfishness with that those finances led to idolatry. But what did God want them to do with that well exodus thirty five five tells us that after that golden calf incident, God says, "From what you have, take an offering for the Lord, whoever is of a generous heart, so notice that offering comes from a generous heart, let him bring the Lord's offering gold, silver, and bronze. So so a heart that loves God wants to give out of of this generous heart, wants to give to the Lord. And of course, the scripture says, God loves a cheerful giver. And so we need to calibrate our consciences to be convicted and convinced that withholding giving to God is actually stealing. And so Christ-like labor is diligently working so you can generously give, which means that we put off this heart that wants for ourselves, that takes what is not ours, that keeps what is not ours. And then second, we are to put on diligent, beneficial work Christ like labor puts on diligent beneficial work Ephesians four twenty-eight. let the thief no longer steal but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands the word labor refers to working to the point of exhaustion in 2nd Timothy 3 6 the word labor is used to describe a hard-working farmer How many of you have ever worked on a farm? Working on a farm is exhausting work. It's difficult. And so labor here refers to this diligent work. It is God's will for us to work. This is a present tense imperative. The word labor is this idea that we are to continually obey God by diligently working. And this is the nature of God. John 5 17, Jesus said, My Father is working until now, and I am working. Work is godly, work is righteous. It's the way God works, it's the way Christ works. In fact, in Genesis chapter 1, the very first thing we read about God is that the triune God worked in six days to create. The Father ordained, the, the Son spoke it to be, the Spirit brought it about. So the triune God created work in six days to bring all that is visible and invisible um, into existence. And then in Genesis 1.27, God creates man and woman And he does so in his own image. So male and female are in the image of God, are made in the image of God. And what's interesting is part of imaging God is that they work. In fact, the scripture says in verse 28 that God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it. And have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the, uh, of the birds of the heavens, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. So God called Adam and Eve to to really work in two areas. That is, first, the family; they were to establish a family. They were to were to be fruitful and multiply. And second, they were to have dominion over the earth. They were to work. In a way that ruled over creation, that cultivated the earth, that that made the earth productive and life-sustaining. So God made humans in his image as male and female, and they were to accomplish that work as one, yet they had different roles. Adam was the husband. His role was to work, to provide for the home, to be the spiritual leader of the family. Eve's role was to support him in his mission to to nurture the family and to manage the home. So both are working, though they have different roles. And this is before the fall. So so what you see in Genesis one and Genesis two is that man and woman are to work. And then Genesis three, you have sin entering into the world. And the curse for sin made work difficult. You see, work is not a curse. Difficult work was the curse. And therefore, we do not need to see work as something that is bad. We need to see labor as a blessing. And that's so countercultural. Because today, people work for the weekend, right? it's Miserable Monday, and then it's TGI Friday. Thank goodness it's Friday. And and the world works for the leisure, leisure, and, and, and they work for the weekend. But that's not a biblical view of work. We don't work to rest. We rest so we can go back to work. And rest is a good thing. Leisure is from the Lord. He Even set aside a day that we are to dedicate to him, to worship him, and we are to rest, to set aside our work for that day. Martin Lloyd-Jones taught that the moment we begin to regard work as something degrading, as a nuisance in the way of fun, we are on the slippery slope toward stealing. So I think parents, as we think about raising our kids, one of the best gifts that we can give our kids is to teach them the discipline of hard work. Get up in the morning at a decent hour. Go to bed at a decent hour. Have them, encourage them to enjoy the labor of their hands. And there's a God-given fulfillment in working and accomplishing tasks. You see, if you sit down and you're lazy all day long, you play video games or you binge watch TV, how do you feel at the end of your day? you feel lousy? I can remember growing up, I had something called a Game Boy. Some of you might know what that is. And I can remember days where I, I sat down and I played Tetris. All day long. You know, Tetris, you you fit those shapes into different places and and I would go to bed at night and and dream of Tetris, like dream of those shapes and how they could go. And but I can remember doing that, you know, for an entire day and then just feeling so lousy at the end of the day. Well Proverbs thirteen four says the soul of the sluggard craves and gets nothing. The soul of the lazy person is empty but the rest of that verse says while the soul of the diligent is richly supplied when you work hard and you accomplish something there's a built-in satisfaction in that for some of you you feel sad or are down and it could be that you need something to do and at the basic level god has called us to labor doing honest work with our hands. And so the word labor tells us that God's will for you is to diligently work. And of course, this will look different for men and for women and for children and for those who are retired. But the point of this passage is clear. It is a sin to be a lazy bum. In fact, did you know that in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, Paul instructed the church not to admit someone into membership who was lazy. And, and also, if there was a person who was lazy in the church, to call that person to repentance, and if they didn't repent, to remove them from the membership. In 2 Thessalonians 3, 6, now we command you, brothers, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, That you keep away from any brother who is walking in idleness, in laziness. And so in 2 Thessalonians, he's saying that if a brother is lazy, if he's a freeloader, he's he's not working like he should, then mark him. And if he doesn't repent of that laziness, the, the passage is clear that this person should be removed. But really the answer for him is to get a job. It's to work. I mean, think about verse 10 of Second Thessalonians 3. And I would encourage you, if you're questioning some of this, go study that passage. Look at this chapter. But notice verse 10, for even when we were with you, Paul wrote, we would give you this command if anyone is not willing to work. Let him not eat in the text. The scripture goes on to say, so therefore get a job, do honest work. But think about that verse in verse 10, that he says this command that if you're not willing to work, if you're lazy and you don't want to work, you should not eat. Helping a lazy person is not compassion. So think about that. Helping someone, enabling someone who is lazy is not compassion. It actually could be enabling them to continue in their sin. And so we need to think of this and take this truth here and apply it with wisdom and discernment. This should not be a, a quick judgment about someone. There should be questions asked and discerning Uh, discernment and we should seek to understand what's going on in their life, right? We realize that some people genuinely are not able to work because of a a disability or they lost their job and they're not able to find another job. So that's a providential need in their life. And At the end of verse 28, we're going to see that scripture encourages us to help people like that. But on the other hand, there are people who have needs because of sinful choices they have made, and particularly with laziness. And so we need discernment to tell the difference and to call that person who is lazy to obedience to work with his hands. And so you must put on diligent, beneficial work, verse 28 says, doing honest work with his own hands the word honest could refer to the type of work it's honest work instead of dishonest work but it probably refers to the benefit of the work that it's useful it helps it's good work think of genesis chapter one after god created he saw that his work was good god cared about the quality He cares about the quality of your work and your attitude at your work. Go over to Ephesians 6 and notice this. Notice the heart of a person who labors for the Lord. Ephesians 6 and verse number 6 and 7. We do labor, verse 6, not by the way of eye service as men pleasers, but as bondservants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, rendering service with a good will as to the Lord and not unto men. So we serve, we work for the Lord. and We don't just work hard because someone's looking over our shoulder. We are diligent because that's what God has called us to do. And so let's consider from this text how we are to apply it from the from the youngest and to the oldest. So kids, let me talk to you. Kids, do you do hard work when you are told to clean your room or you're told to do your homework? Do you sit down and do you do that under the Lord? Are you diligent in your work? I mean, do you do your best at your math or 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 um, cleaning the kitchen? As a servant of the Lord. And then let me talk to teens and, and young adults, particularly young men. How does this apply to you? Well, you need to get the skills. You need to get skills for a job, particularly if you're in school right now. Maybe you're in college or high school. Like You need to pay attention in school. You need to develop your mind. You need to develop the, the talents of your hands. You need to consider how you can support a family someday. There there are many men that I've met in their 30s, especially Christians, and they have little skills. They have little experience. I mean, they, they may be really good at sports because they really focused on that, or they're really good at playing video games, but they don't have any skills for a job. And it's like they're 34, 35, and they're going, well, what should I do with my life? And and something failed along the way. At some point in their high school, in their 20-something age group, they should have come around to the realization that they need skills to have a job. And so getting skills for a job is one of the most spiritual things you can do as a Christian young person. Think about that. If you're in school right now and you're gaining skills to be able to work a job, one of the most spiritual things you can do is study. If you're going to a trade school, one of the most spiritual things you can do is pay attention and learn that trade so you can do what God has called you to do, and that is to labor with your hands. And then think about all the rest of us, those of you who are going back to work tomorrow what is your attitude at work? What is your work ethic? Do people see the difference in how you work? And if they don't see, I mean, maybe you don't have a lot of people around you. God sees your heart. And does he see a heart that enjoys God while doing the work? So Christ-like labor is diligently working so you can generously give, which means you are Putting off stealing, you're putting on this diligent, beneficial work, and you're doing so with this mind that's renewed with the purpose of work. And that is that you work so you can generously give. Notice verse 28: Let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor doing honest work with his own hands so that he may have something to share. With anyone in need. This introduces the so what introduces a purpose clause. In other words, the purpose of diligent, beneficial work is so that you may have something to share with anyone in need. This is giving us the purpose of your daily labor, it's so you can give. And this is what the redeemed life looks like. I mean, Zacchaeus stole as a tax collector. He skimmed off the top. He became rich. But when God saved him, he gave. He gave back four times what he stole. And what changed in Zacchaeus is Zacchaeus went from one who was a taker to one who was a giver. Zacchaeus lived like Christ, He worked to give. And this is the response of those who are redeemed. In Acts, after people were saved, they began to give. Acts 2.45. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. There it is. They had needs. And they were per- predominantly doing that through the local church they were taking those those gifts and laying them at the apostles feet and the church was distributing it, the, distributing those funds to those who had needs people who had lost their jobs because they became christians people who were suffering those who were going out with the gospel this is not christian socialism right? karl marx believed basically this what you have belongs to everyone to help the needy so his philosophy in you know, this socialistic marxist communist philosophy is what you have belongs to society belongs to everyone of course managed by the government to help the needy and honestly that's the philosophy of many of our government policies but that's not christianity see christianity teaches what you have belongs to you given to you by god you're a steward of that and you should use that to help others to help the needy so it's your responsibility to use what god has given to you to help the needy and particularly through the local church and so what was happening in the early church where where christians saw needs they 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 gave abundantly To help those in need. And verse 28 teaches here then that the regular practice of believers is to take what you earn and to use it to meet needs. The word share means to give from what you have. So notice in verse 28, you labor so that you may have something to share what's the something there? What is the something you're sharing? Well, for us, it's called a paycheck. It's called a a direct deposit. So it's the earnings from your labor. That's what verse 28 is speaking about. This is not talking about you volunteering your time, right? Though that's something good to do. This is not talking about you using your talents for the Lord, though you should. This is speaking specifically about that paycheck you get when you uh, take something home from work when you when you get paid for your work so kids this is that 20 dollars that you get from grandma in your birthday card. teens this is that cash you get for babysitting or for cleaning up that person's yard employee this is the direct deposit you get once or twice a month and here's the question why has god given that money to you what does god want you to do with it and the answer for most people is what to do what i want to enjoy my life however i want to so if you're a kid i, I want to save up for that skateboard or that toy right if you're an adult i i want to i want to pay for that vacation coming up and and we have this these lists of things that we want to do or i have gone into this much debt because I've tried to do this much stuff or have this much stuff and I got to pay all my debts off. And so we view what we have as a way to fund basically our, what we desire to be a, a lavish lifestyle. But what is, what does verse 28 actually teach should be our view of work? What should we actually do with that income that we receive? Well, we should, Diligently work to generously give. So, so why are you working? Well, there are subcategories of reasons why we work, right? We we do work so that we can have a sense of purpose. We saw that in Proverbs 13:4. We we do work to benefit society. I mean, Ephesians 4:28 says it's good work, honest work. We are working as well to obey the Lord. We glorify the Lord as we use our our talents, as we use our creative abilities to, to image Him. And so those are legitimate reasons to work. But verse 28 gives, I think, the primary purpose of work. And that is to, to image God by giving. God's nature is to love, and so God works to give the whole earth enjoys the 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 life that god has given to them the blessings and provision that god has given to them because god is a giving god and every person in this room every person hearing this message needs god's work of grace to save them you see my friend you are in need of god's free work of grace jesus christ he lived a perfect life he did the work of obedience he did what you could not do he lived a perfect life jesus did the work of paying for your sin on the cross he did the work which you could not do and that is he paid the penalty for sin jesus rose from the grave jesus did the work that you could not do he defeated sin and death and how and then he is offering to you eternal life if you trust in his work. You see, God is a God who works, and he does that by his grace. And so we are to labor like Christ by diligently working so you can generously give. The Apostle Paul said that it is more blessed to give than to receive. And, and in Acts 20, 35, Paul was saying that that's why he was such a diligent worker. He he worked hard to help those who were in need. He says in that text of scripture, in, in Acts 20, 35, he did that. And he says, and one of the motives for him was, it's a joy to give. He, he says, Jesus was the one who taught that phrase. And we don't have this in the gospels. So this must have been, passed on to Paul, but Jesus taught that it's a blessing to give. Yes, there's a there's a satisfaction in working, but really the joy comes after that as we use those funds to help those who are in need. And so here's a question. Who are those in need? And so let's consider the order of priority for the needy. First of all, those who are needy in your life are those who are a part of your household, those under your roof. 1 Timothy five eight speaks about the church caring for widows, and that's appropriate, and we should do that. But in that passage of Scripture, he says that really the responsibility to care for those of a household is a responsibility of the family. And so if there's a need, really the first call should be to call the family. Scripture says in that passage that if you don't care for your own household, you're worse than an unbeliever. So so we, if we see a need in someone's life, we should ask, does the family know? Are they fulfilling their God-given role? And then second, the needy are those in God's household. God's household, that's the church. You see, our our culture has trained us to think of the word needy, and automatically we think of the 40,000 homeless people that are in Los Angeles. And yes, they are needy, and I'm not against helping them. But I think your mind should automatically go to what the Scripture views as those who are the priority, as the needy ones, and that is those of God's household. And the Scripture is clear that when you think of the needy, you, you need to think of the saints in need. I mean, just think about a couple verses with me here. Romans 12, 13 contribute to the needs of the saints, Galatians 6.10. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone. So we are to have this this kindness this, to help those who are all around us. But he says in Galatians 6.10, especially to those who are of the household of faith. They have a higher priority. Matthew 25 40, Jesus told a story about how he will have people come to him someday and he will say, you did not love me. You did not love those who are my brothers and sisters. In Matthew 25 40, scripture says, and the king will answer, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, and notice it's, The brothers of Christ, the brothers and sisters, those in the family of God, you did it to me. John 3, John 1, 8. Therefore, we ought to support people like these that we may be fellow workers for the truth. And then third, the needy are those who have providential and spiritual needs around you. James chapter one, verse 27, religion that is pure and undefiled before God and the father is this, to visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. And really that's looking around and seeing who are those that have these providential needs that I can help. It's, I think it's actually just even living this life where you're just observing the needs of people around you. And it's this heart that you desire to image God by generously giving. So here's a question. Are you a generous giver? John Bunyan wrote in Pilgrim's Progress, A man there was, though some did count him mad. The more he cast away, the more he had. And that reflects a truth of scripture that we are to abundantly give. Some people might think it's crazy but actually, it's the way of the Lord. This summer, I read a biography about C.T. Studd, and it tells a story of his father, who was one of the richest men to live in the late 1800s, and his father heard the gospel from D.L. Moody, and he was saved, and he lived this opulent life. He was very wealthy, you know, houses and, and carriages and but after his conversion, he began to give away his money. He would give away his money to missions, to, to, to the missionaries and to churches and to support gospel endeavors. He had three sons, and they were just at first aghast by this. You know, This was their inheritance, being thrown away. Of course, they were filthy rich, so there was plenty of it. But, but still, it was like, what's he doing? They had a huge dancing hall. And that basically turned into a preaching auditorium. So these young men saw their dad's passion for Christ and how he used his business and funds to further the gospel. Well, eventually, C.T. Studd's dad died, and they were shocked by this. But but his life affected C.T. and his brothers. Eventually, these boys received Christ, C.T. Studd gave his life to Christ and decided to go to China to be a missionary. And in, in his decisions to give his life to the Lord, he decided to give his entire inheritance away to gospel work. People thought he was insane. C.T. Studd said at one point in his life, only one life will soon be passed. Only what's done for Christ will last. I don't. I don't think CT Stud's dad nor CT Stud regrets giving away one pence of their money, because what they gave lasts for eternity. What's interesting about some of the money, some of the money that CT Stud gave away, is that he gave some of it to George Mueller, and George Mueller is remembered as a man who prayed and God heard and answered his prayer. But he should also be remembered as a man who gave. George Mueller, as they've looked at George Mueller's records, they have seen that his accounts show that he regularly gave away 50 to 80% of his income to gospel work. Think about that. 50 to 80% of his gospel work. He viewed giving as a way for him to worship the Lord. In fact, George Mueller said this God judges what we give by what we keep. Isn't that an interesting way to look at giving? So, Christ like labor is diligently working so you can generously give. And so, are you diligently working? Are you generously giving? And this starts with planning, this starts with praying, with budgeting, surrendering my income to the Lord and seeking to use my treasure on earth to store up treasure in heaven.